with me this morning to the book of First Corinthians chapter number 9 for our basic scripture reading. First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 9 verses 13 through 18. Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. He makes these statements, Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel... I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. I've chosen for a text, verse number 16, where Paul says, Though I preach the gospel, I've nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Now, I want to speak on the subject of the necessity of preaching the gospel. Why is it so important that we preach the gospel? We refer to many types of different denominations, but we usually use the term gospel preachers. They preach the gospel. The necessity of preaching the gospel... The theme of Paul's ministry, the theme of Paul's ministry was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the motivating factor and force which drove this apostle, who became, I believe, the greatest preacher of all time. Wherever he went, whatever he did, it was always to preach the gospel. Now, Paul was taught this gospel. We have theological seminaries today for the purpose of teaching preachers about church work, about evangelism, about missions, and also theologically about the gospel. Paul did not come by his knowledge of the gospel through a theological seminary. He was taught the gospel by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Galatians 1, 11, and 12, Paul said, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached of me is not after man. For I never received it of man, 
neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul did not learn the gospel from the apostles or from any school of learning. He learned it at the crucified feet of the Savior in an Arabian desert for several years. And he preached the gospel after learning it everywhere he went. In Romans chapter 15, verse 16 and 19 through 20, Paul says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another's foundation. Paul preached the gospel in Jerusalem. He preached it in Judea. He preached it in Asia Minor. He preached it in Dalmatia. He preached it in Greece, and he also preached it in Rome. Thus, he preached it all over the world. There is a section in God's Word that we refer to as the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is given to us in the Gospels. One in particular is Mark 16, verse 15. It involves the Gospel. Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every living creature. Please notice, not teaching agriculture and not teaching good health practices to people in foreign lands, but preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the twelve disciples who listened to the Lord teach them the gospel. They began to preach the gospel. In Luke 9, verse number 6, The scripture says they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Notice the order here. They did not go into the towns healing everybody and preaching the gospel, but preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The purpose of the healing was to give authority to the validity of what Paul was saying. This was not some religion he had hatched up. This had come straight from God. And he preached the gospel. I believe God is still calling men today to preach the gospel. I certainly do not claim to know everything. I know a few things, but I do not know everything. And I have to say, sometimes things of which I've made observances on through the years that may not necessarily be true in other areas. But there seems to me to be a smaller number of young men surrendering their lives to the call of Jesus Christ to preach the gospel than it was when I started out preaching 67 years ago. 
I mean, I would never hold a meeting in a church, but what we didn't have several of the young men to come forward and say, Brother Cozart, I believe God wants me to be a missionary. And some of them had been receiving that call so long they could even tell you where they felt like God wanted them to go. But you don't see too much of that anymore. Maybe it's because we're fast approaching the Great Tribulation period. We'll say more about that on another occasion. But I'm glad that God is still calling men to preach the gospel. My mother did not call me to preach the gospel. My daddy wanted me to be a baseball player. And if I knew any any sport I hate, I hate baseball. And I said, Daddy, God didn't call me to be a baseball player. He called me to preach the gospel. Now, why is so much emphasis given to the gospel? Why is there so much said about the gospel? Why is it essential that it be preached? Notice the text again in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, where Paul says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is me, and woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul makes it clear in our text that gospel preaching was not optional. It was imperative. He had to preach it. He must preach it. Why is the preaching of the gospel necessary? I want to share a few thoughts with you about that subject today. Three things I want to try and cover. Number one, what is it to preach the gospel? What does that mean? So now I preach, he preaches the gospel. Well, what's he preaching? What is the gospel? What is it to preach the gospel? Number two, why is it necessary that preachers have nothing to glory of? Paul makes that statement, I have nothing to glory of. Why is that so? Sometimes people take great pride in their vocation in life and what they do in life and what they give themselves to do and the accomplishments they make. But somehow or another, the ministry of preaching the gospel is not involved in that. When a man commits himself to preach the gospel, he needs, he needs to stop glorying because it's not his gospel. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing is, why is it necessary? Why is it so essential to preach the gospel? Let's look quickly at that. Number one, what is it to preach the gospel? You find the seedbed of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 and verses 3 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. And here it is. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Second of all, that he was buried... And thirdly, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel is the seedbed of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Sometimes I like to approach a subject negatively. And in the case at point, that's what I'm doing. What the gospel is not. We hear so much about people preaching the gospel today and they would not know it if they had a head-on collision with it. What is gospel preaching? It is not building of self-esteem. It is not the building of self-esteem. One of the largest churches in the United States of America is pastored by Joel Osteen. Now, Mr. Osteen preaches probably to 30 or 35,000 people every Sunday. Every Sunday. I imagine they're there for spring break. Anytime I've watched a televised production of that, he's got more people than I've seen in a long, long time. But the man preaches self-esteem. That if you think a thing to be so, you can become what you think. And he tries to encourage you to think positively. If you think positively, and if you ask the Lord and you really trust the Lord, he's going to give you this and he's going to give you that. It is building of self. Gospel is not the building. By the way, watching television. I like to watch it once in a while. I don't watch everything, but I sure do like gun smoke. I do like gun smoke. Don't care much for Chester. He drives me absolutely crazy. But I also like to watch some religious broadcast. And just recently in one of the Osteen services, the the speaker was making a statement and a man in the midst of that massive crowd stood up and he had a copy of the Word of God. And he lifted it up and he just stood there. And his arm got a little tired and he just switched the Bible over to this arm and continued to stand while the speaker was speaking. And finally, I did not know exactly how it worked, but it it bothered the speaker to the extent that finally he broke his speech a little bit. And when he broke his speech, this man said, I want all of you to know something. You're not getting the gospel in this church. Because you believe you, if you believe a thing's going to be so, you can kind of make it so yourself. I want to tell you this, and he was preaching to them. He said, if you don't repent of your sins and get right with God, you're going to go to hell. Well, by that time, the security officers were coming in from the side and from the back, and they took him nice and cautiously and escorted him out. But I thought, you know what? They won't forget that in a long time, will they? Amen. Preaching the gospel is not the building of self-esteem. Preaching the gospel is not providing an example to follow. And may I say there's nothing wrong with having a good example for people to follow. Preaching the gospel is not following the golden rule. Did you know you can try to keep the golden rule and still die without Christ? Salvation is not in the golden rule. It's in the golden ruler who is the Lord himself. Salvation is not obedience to the law. Salvation in the gospel is not some moral religious story, such as Easter, such as Christmas time. Preaching the gospel is not a gospel concert. I repeat, 
preaching the gospel. Now, I know some people that they don't go to church, but they go to every gospel concert that comes along. And they say, oh, I just loved, I'd rather hear it sung. I just love to pre- the, the, the singers get up and they start singing. And, but isn't that strange that God has chosen by the foolishness of preaching, not singing. And singing's important, but never is it more important than the proclamation and the preaching of the Word of God. And it's not a healing crusade. It's not for all the crippled folks and all the sick folks to come down to the front and and go through some ritual. And if anybody's healed, I thank the Lord for it, except the devil. I don't want him to get any better than what he already is. You do know we have a good devil, don't you? He's a crackerjack. He is. Anyway, what is the gospel? It is the proclamation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Simply stated, it involves Jesus Christ being God in the flesh, his virgin birth. It involves the fact he was the father's sinless lamb. John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. It is a proclamation of a fact that Christ bore our sins in his body for his people at Calvary. He did not go there against his will. It was his will to lay his life down as well as to take it up again. He successfully paid for the sins of his people through the death of his son on the cross. We don't have to do or try to do penance to earn salvation. We could never earn it in a million years. But Christ paid for our sins on the cross at Calvary. He bodily arose from the dead and returned to heaven taking his seat at the Father's right hand. And sinners trusting his sacrifice for their sins can be saved by looking to him, by trusting him, and by acknowledging him. That's basically what the gospel is. The person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not moonlight on little Willie's grave. Now that's an expression of Charlie Jackson, who's in heaven today, and he probably is listening to every word I say. Brother Jackson said, you have to watch these preachers. They'll preach for a little while, and then they'll try to stir up the emotions of the people. And they'll talk about moonlight on little Willie's grave, get folks crying and coming down the aisles and thinking they're coming because they feel something in there. They don't know what they feel. Everybody's all emotion. No, listen, dear friend. It involves the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary. Now, second of all, why is it that a preacher has nothing to glory of? Why is it that a preacher has nothing to glory of? In our text, notice that statement is made very clearly. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. I have nothing to glory of. Paul said it in a different manner in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some preachers seem to take glory in being called reverend. 
that's, that's a bad practice. Reverend Al Sharpton. Reverend Jesse Jackson. Even the Pope of Rome delights in being called His Holiness. I tell you what, my dear friend, preachers have nothing to glory in save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. Why is this so? Why is it that preachers don't have anything to glory about? Because the preacher is aware of his own imperfections. If he's a true man of God, and by that I mean if God actually called a man to preach, he begins to realize that without the Lord, he's absolutely nothing and has nothing to glory in. No true preacher has a high regard of himself. I was a Southern Baptist for the first 17 years of my life, and I just about ran them crazy when they couldn't take it anymore and I couldn't take it anymore, we departed paths. Before doing that, I saw some things and experienced some things that brought sadness to my heart. One was in a Southern Baptist meeting where I attended. The guest speaker was being introduced and the man who introduced him said this, when This brother comes to preach to you. When I think of him, I think that his name should be called Wonderful. Counselor. The Mighty God. That happened in a Baptist meeting, my dear friend. No. When you ever see grace, I tell you what, it'll take the starch out of you. It'll do that. The man who's been called to preach the gospel is sensitive to his own sins. He labors and he studies, but he never feels fully prepared for the assignment. How many times I have felt that way. He compares himself to other preachers sometimes who are far more capable and he feels so inadequate. We have some preachers here. I've never heard this, my dear brother back there. I would love to hear him preach. I've heard Phil Parks preach. I've heard Brother Ray preach. And many, many times I thought, Lord, my, I know why you called them, but why in this world did you call me? It takes the pride out of you. I have nothing to glory in, in preaching the gospel. Why is that so? Because his gifts are borrowed. If a preacher is gifted, he got his gift from somebody And he didn't develop it himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse number 7. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if you didst receive it, why do you glory as if you had not received it? Not all preachers have the same gifts. 
Mr. Spurgeon, it is said, had a photographic memory. And when I talk about Mr. Spurgeon, I speak of him as though he's still alive on this earth. One of the great, he was called the Prince of Preachers. And I have much of his library, much of every sermon he's ever preached in my library. When Mr. Spurgeon got ready to preach, he would call his assistants and his associates together. He was pastor of the Metropolitan Church, Baptist Church in, in, in London, England. And he had this beautiful building and he had many men who helped him prepare and get ready to preach by putting tables, we call them six foot or eight foot tables, end to end. And he would tell them what his text was going to be. And those associates of his would look through his library and pick out the books of other preachers as well as books he had written himself and found that text and placed it on the table. And another one was placed beside of that on the table. And finally the tables were loaded with commentary on his text. And Mr. Spurgeon would slowly walk by and look down on that table and see what this one said and said what that one said and said what that one said and then go into the pulpit without tools and preach for hours. Uh, That's great. Brother, that's great. God gave him that ability. Do you understand that? Because the preacher's gifts are borrowed. George Whitfield, he had a booming voice. <laughs> he had such a booming voice he could preach to a congregation that had heard him to preach in a 20-acre field without a public address system. And everybody heard every word that he said. God gave that man that booming voice. Amos had boldness. He left the southern tribes of Judah and headed up to the north. That'd be like saying a confederate's going to visit Yankee land. And when he got up there, they didn't want to hear a word that he said. But do you think it hurt his feelings? He looked them square in the eyes and said, you need to prepare to meet God. Where'd he get that boldness from? God gave him that boldness. Jeremiah had tears of brokenness. Many times when Jeremiah was preaching, he would begin to cry. Waters would flow from his eyes like rivers. God used that. And God gave it to him. And though this sounds a little bit out of character, and I don't want to fully upset you too much right now, Rush Limbaugh, and oh, I did love to hear Rush. Rush had something to say. And for 30 years, he was the active communicative voice over radio. And he was many, many times referred to himself, and you'll remember this, he described his ability as talent on loan from God. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. A preacher has nothing to glory in because if he has anything at all, he got it from the Lord God. Why should not we 
as preachers of the gospel, glory because of our constant dependence upon the Holy Spirit. My worst nightmare, could I tell you what it is? And I've had it over and over again. I would be dreaming, and I don't know how long the dreams are, all right. I would be dreaming that I'm preaching in a church. Sometimes my own home church, and then I've preached in so many churches, they come into my, into my dream many, many times, and I've been sitting on, at the, on the sedalia, waiting for the special music, and the, the music man gets up and he sings, and boy, I'm anxious about it. This is great, this is wonderful. I've been preparing for this. Great big congregation of folk. And then it comes time for me to preach, and I reach over, and I can't find my Bible. And I don't know who in the world took the Bible. And all of a sudden I freeze. Because I know this. If I don't have a Bible, I don't have anything to say. I have nothing to glory in. Only the preacher knows what it's like to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then trying to preach when the Spirit seems to be absent. Thus he has nothing to glory of. And finally, number three, why is it necessary to preach the gospel? Why is that necessary? Number one, it was the only way Old Testament sinners were saved. And I've been asked that question many times. Brother Cozart, how were the people in the Old Testament saved? Just exactly like the people in the New Testament were saved. Just like folks today are being saved by the preaching of the gospel. It was the only way that Old Testament sinners were saved. Galatians 3 verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham. Underscore that. He preached the gospel unto Abraham. That's not a New Testament Character, an Old Testament to be sure. Saying, in thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. You know what God told Abraham? He said, Abraham, it'll be through you. In your seed will many in the world be blessed. That through the seed of Abraham, God would use that to bring forth the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. That's preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. In the Old Testament, the gospel may have been preached in figures and types. And if you study your Bible, you're going to run across many Old Testament types and figures, especially in the Old Testament. Whether it was the serpent of brass in Moses' day, what was the serpent of brass? Very quickly, the people had been bitten by these creatures, these flying creatures, and they were dying at such a rapid rate. And Moses said, Lord, what shall I do? And the Lord said, take a pole, plant that pole, and put on top of it a brazen, a serpent of brass. And it'll come to pass that whoever looks to that brazen serpent of brass will be healed of snake bite. 
Who would have ever thought that one day in the New Testament, Jesus Christ was talking to a man by the name of Nicodemus, and he said this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's preaching the gospel in the Old Testament. When God told Abraham to take his son, and he specifies his son as his only son, Isaac, atop Mount Moriah, and offer him as a sacrifice. Here we see a type of Abraham, God the father, and Isaac, the son of God, and the father is taking the son of God to offer him as a sacrifice for sin, and would have allowed Abraham to bring the knife down into the boy, but interrupted it with a noise over in the bush behind. A ram had been caught in the thicket, and the ram was offered instead. That's preaching the gospel. Actually, in that story, you see the death, burial, and resurrection. You remember Isaac said, Lord, where's the lamb? And Abram said, God will provide. And dear friends, hundreds of years later, God did provide on the cross of Calvary the Lamb of God who died. Man cannot be saved without the gospel. That's why we must preach the gospel. That's why it's necessary. That's why it's essential. Man cannot be saved without the gospel. In Ephesians 1.13... Paul says, in whom you also trusted, and please notice the preposition that follows. It's very important. In my notes, I have it encircled in red. In whom you also trusted. Brother Cozart, when did we trust? You trusted after that you heard the word of truth. You didn't trust the Lord before you heard the word of truth. You trusted the Lord after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Notice that a person cannot trust without first hearing the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.21, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. How does God save people? They believe, they have faith in the Lord, But it's through the preaching of the gospel, the foolishness of it, to save them. The gospel is the means that God has ordained to save his people. And without it, they will not be saved. Now, at the expense of sounding critical, there are some Grace Baptists who pay little attention to evangelism. They believe in the sovereignty of God, but they push that sovereignty of God to the extent that if God wants anybody saved, he'll save them and he doesn't need you to help him. Now, in a sense, when they state it that way, there's some truth in it. But as a result, they're not given to evangelism. They're not giving to going out and preaching the gospel to every living creature. As a matter of fact, they will take that verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 1. And they'll take also the verse of the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. They say, well, it means to preach to the elect. 
how in the world do you know who the elect are? We're to preach the gospel to the whole world. The gospel is the means that God has ordained. But there are some who do not, they ignore that. They don't believe in sending missionaries. They'll, they say, well, God's going to save them anyway. No, God does not save people anyway. He saves them His way. And that is the way of the gospel. Why is the gospel important? Why is it essential? Why is it necessary? It is through the gospel, and this is, this is it, very important. It's through the gospel that men are brought forth unto salvation. Now watch this carefully. In 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul said, I have begotten you through the gospel. I have begotten you through the gospel. Now link that with 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That word begotten has to do with the bringing forth. You do realize that in physical birth there is a bringing forth that comes about nine months later after the seed has been planted. This is not gospel regeneration. I want you to understand clearly. I do not believe in gospel regeneration. If I believe that, then I would raise the question when the gospel is preached, why isn't everybody saved? It's because it's not through gospel regeneration. Regeneration is likened unto conception. And it is only the Holy Spirit of God that can quicken that individual. That later, later he will hear the gospel and he comes forth. One is called conversion. The first is regeneration. And you'll never have a conversion without a regeneration. If you have a regeneration, you will have a conversion. Will come forth. And finally, preaching the gospel is the only hope for foreign missions. And I have always believed in that. And not only do I believe it, but I practice it. I give to that cause. We have members of our church that give to that cause. In 2 Corinthians, notice the reference, not first again, but 2 Corinthians 10.16. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond to preach the gospel in the regions beyond, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. Paul's ministry, he carefully chose not to go where the gospel had already been preached by another preacher. And this happens all the time. A pastor comes and pastors a church, whether he's there five years, whether he's there 20 years, he leaves, another pastor comes along, and maybe there are a lot of people that come to know the Lord and the work progresses because the first pastor laid the foundation. Paul did not go where it was already laid. He went to an unfertile field in preaching the gospel. And he called it preaching the gospel to the regions beyond. I believe he was the greatest of all missionaries. He covered the then known world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason he did that is because he knew that without it, people would perish. Now, 
I want you to give some thought to that before we dismiss the service. Why do we support missions? I believe that God does not call every man to go to the mission field, but I believe He calls all of His children to be involved in missions, giving sometimes that others who have been called will have the opportunity to go and preach the Word of God. That's so important. Why is it important? That without that, people cannot be saved. You say, well, why should our church here in Tyler have a part in missions? Either we're concerned about missions, and either we want people in other countries to be saved, or we're the only ones that we're interested in being saved. You say, well, don't you think God has another plan? No, God never has had another plan. His plan is preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. We have what we call faith promise mission giving in our church. And by it, my dear friends, we have tried down through the years to maintain that and give as we, as God opened up money that we had no way of knowing was coming in, but it came in from unknown sources. And we would use that for missionary expenditures. And we, we, we believe in missions and we support missionaries. We have men who have surrendered and they're doing a good job on the mission field. And we send them a mission check every month the Lord sends our way. We can only do that as we're interested in missions. Why should we do that? Because if we don't, if we don't, they don't hear the gospel. And if they don't hear the gospel, they cannot be saved. Getting the gospel out. If preaching the gospel is essential for men to be saved, and I believe that it is, then we must not only preach it here at home, but we preach it abroad as well. If we cannot go, we can give and pray as others who have been called to go. The Great Commission is a personal mandate, I believe, for our local church here in Tyler. It is not ours to decide whether or not to preach the gospel to the world. We must preach it to the world. Or we need to shut down and stop pretending we have a New Testament church. I believe that's so. Being a New Testament church is not just God bless me and my four and no more. It's going into all the world and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ I thank the Lord over the years. He's given me an opportunity to go into many foreign countries. And every time I go into a foreign country, there are many emotions in my heart. I see things I've never seen before. I meet people I've never met before. And I always like to get back home as quick as I can and thank God for what I have in this country and in this America that you and I have that people around the world do not have access to. God did that. And now the atheists are trying to take it away from God and take it away from us. I want to share some lessons about evangelism to you today and about the importance of not glorying in it, but thanking God we have an opportunity to have a part in it. Let's stand, please, for prayer.